recording. Oh, hey, we've got a special guest on the podcast. She's a little baby, and her name's Rhoda. Say, Say hi, hi, Rhoda. Rhoda. Oh, That's this it. is so this is so awkward. It's such a bad idea to have a new new guest on a podcast. <laughs> Rhoda, what do you want? Would you like to say anything? This is just looking at Jane. Rhoda, what are your thoughts on Tarantino? Topical. I'd just like to come out That's in support of single pale healthcare. I'm Rhoda, a little baby. Hi everybody. Single, single that was their puppy. Healthcare? <laughs> Listen. Yeah, you get you get <laughs> all your health care in one bucket. It's full of syringes. That's it. It's full of syringes. Some loose medicine we found. We raided a Walgreens. And one gram of weed. That's right, everybody. Legalize it. <laughs> Welcome to Media Majors, a storytelling podcast that sometimes we want to quote, record really quickly. So we have our puppy VV intro. Oh, man. She was so cute. I hope everybody got to hear some good snoofs. Just some good sniffing content. For the record, Rhoda fucking hates Tarantino and thinks that he should never work in film again. A. Hey. Go Rhoda. Go Rhoda. Hey, Liam, what do we do on this podcast every single week? Tell stories about media. I'm Liam Sr., and I talk about movies, TV, show business. And I'm Tom Lockney, and I really like to talk about the culture of the internet and video games. You forgot for a quick second. <laughs> I sure You did. forgot what you do. Oh, um, boy. It's a Sunday. It sure is. It sure is, it's as we're Super about Bowl to Sunday, find out. Which is a great segue, because it's Super Bowl Sunday, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, each week, we have a theme. And today's theme are spectacles. Sub theme Super Bowl for me. <laughs> January fifteenth, nineteen sixty-seven. The first Super Bowl is played at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles, California. It's good that they mm. named it that and then decided, oh my god, we should put it in Los Angeles so the name makes sense. <laughs> uh, the Green Bay Packers beat the Kansas City Chiefs thirty-five to ten. The game is the only Super Bowl to have been broadcasted in the U.S. by two different networks simultaneously. Ever since then, um, ever, uh, except for in 2007, in some reason, when like two networks <laughs> just streamed it. Uh, but since then, it's it's been on one network, and they all like kind of take turns. The big four just kind of pass it around, which is like a really weird sort of uh, everyone has to share. <laughs> Everybody has to share the sports. It's adults. These are grown adults. <laughs> so the first halftime show featured trumpeter Al Hurt, the marching bands from University of Arizona, and Grambling State University, 300 pigeons, 10,000 balloons, and a flying demonstration by the hydrogen peroxide-propelled Bell Rocket Airmen. During most of the Super Bowl's first decade, the halftime show was college marching bands. So basically what would happen was, oh, ABC was running the Super Bowl this year. Well, we're going to have like a crazy variety show on at the same time here on CBS. Oh, boy. So they had to counter counter programming. And this year we've got the entire cast of SNL. <laughs> we're going to murder them on live <laughs> television. The f everybody's favorite classic halftime show where they murdered the cast of SNL. But it's just crazy to think that like Super Bowl commercials and Super Bowl halftime shows were created because other networks wanted to counter the programming of just the Super Bowl. Uh, and this is when, uh, so during the 80s, musical acts such as New Kids on the Block, Gloria Estefan, Michael Jackson, Clint Black, Patti LaBelle, and Tony Bennett performed. New Kids on the Block again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Bowl XXXV111, which I believe is 38, was an American football game between the Carolina Panthers and, shocker, the New England Patriots. Oh, boy. 
this was the 2003-2004 Super Bowl. Patriots would beat the Panthers by a score of 32 to 29. It was the highest watched Super Bowl at the time with 144.4 million viewers. Four or five months before the game, the NFL announced that Janet Jackson would be the headline performer of the Super Bowl show. Janet Demita Joe Jackson, uh, born May 16th, 1966, is an American singer, songwriter, dancer, and actress. She's known for her sonically innovative, socially conscious, and sexually provocative records and elaborate stage shows. And she's been a prominent figure in pop culture for over 30 years. Uh, she was the youngest in the Jackson family. She's been on variety TV shows. Uh, she's appeared on Good Times and Fame. She signed on to A&M and had a bunch of really popular records uh, in the 90s. She did a really high multi-million dollar contract with Virgin Records. She was considered a sex symbol in the 90s. She's great. So prior to the Super Bowl, Timberlake had attended Jackson's Rhythm Nation tour as an adolescent. And he's a huge fan, and that's what got him into dancing. The Rhythm Nation dance routine, people have been posting it all over Twitter today. It's, it's a great, great routine. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, when he was in NSYNC, Janet Jackson selected his band to open for her on a bunch of dates. So he got to meet her, and it was like a crazy, fulfilling experience for him. So they became really good friends and just really enjoyed each other's work. So during the halftime show, she decided to bring out Justin Timberlake, and they performed Rock Your Body. And on the last line, Timberlake says, I'm going to have you naked by the end of the song. And Timberlake pulled off part of Jackson's costume, revealing her right breast, partially covered by a piece of nipple jewelry for literally less than a second. This was enough for everyone to shit their goddamn pants and lose their fucking minds. I remember the 2000s. I remember I remember hearing my fucking parents talking about this. I remember hearing my, my uh, I believe it was my dad, uh, talking about how like Janet Jackson was like a slut or something like that, which, hey, by the way, we should say, Wrong not, opinion. Not, Wrong and bad not opinion. Not correct. Not her fucking fault. <laughs> that is not correct. Uh, the incident has been referred to as nipplegate by grown adults who think that's a thing they can say and have me not react what? like, what, what the what? fuck? What is it? What is it about adding gate to the end Watergate. of things? Watergate. I know, I, but like, I know that's what it. the I but know that what is, this Watergate but, scandal is. But like, Tom, that's what it is. What, why are people so uh, uncreative and stupid that they cannot perform, like assign a new original name to a scandal and treat it as its own scandal and not be like, oh, this is just like Watergate. It's not. It's different. So CBS like did a broadcast delay. The FCC fucking lost their mind and tried to sue, and it almost went to the Supreme Court. Jackson's publicist stated that at the end it was only supposed to reveal Jackson's uh, Janet Jackson's bra, lace undergarment, and it was like it got, just got stuck to the outer layer. And so it was people were, basically Janet Jackson's reaction was just like. Grow up, everybody. This isn't ridiculous. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about it even further now. But like to to conflate like accidentally exposing your breast, a thing that a huge amount of people have. Not only that, oh, we we all got there a was titty. she had a cover on. Like it wasn't. Yeah, was, to compare she, that to like, like the, oh the Nixon God, administration guys. trying to like scam the entire fucking country is such a, a like unbelievable false equivalency. So this incident would have some of the strangest consequences I've read about. Um, a lot of this, a lot of the following is an excerpt from Marin Kogan's excellent piece on the whole ordeal called Wardrobe Malfunction. In the beginning, there was a nipple. 
I highly recommend it. Um, so Sally Frattini, who was the executive producer at MTV, uh, MTV was putting on the show. Um, she was like celebrating during the performance because her and her crew had just put pulled off like this whole crazy th- show. Uh, it's really hard to put on a live performance like this in short notice. Mm-hmm. The Super Bowl halftime show sometimes is such a really bad show because they have no time to make anything decent. And it's just a really... I, I almost wish they would just stop doing it because it's <laughs> never good. It's never really good ever since Prince. So they're fucking euphoric and then they get a phone call from their boss who was like everyone in the world just saw janet jackson's breast which not even not even fully right only a hundred million plus people in let's for all half calm a down. second yeah and then her and her team were just like ah crap because basically the nfl never uh, fired mtv they said we're never going to work with you again this is all your fault to this day it remains the most watched video in the history of tivo and it was like a huge, wow. and it was like a huge thing for TiVo. Like it really boosted TiVo's sales. What a embarrassing fact about people. Uh, a lot of people thought that it was, uh, and they all did it on purpose to grab ratings. That well, is that, not that's, true. That's, that, that's the thing is like until you told me actually earlier today, you mentioned that this was like a plan gone wrong. I was under the impression that this had been done intentionally either with or without Janet Jackson's uh, knowledge at all. No. See, what yeah. happened was they in rehearsals, the move was that um, Timberlake was going to tear off uh, part or all of Janet Jackson's kilt. Like, the, just like it wasn't working, so they practiced this thing, which just worked a lot better, I think, for how the... Because they're both very energetic dancers and move around a lot, so... Mm-hmm. In an on-camera apology after the event, Jackson backed up the producers, insisting she decided on the big reveal after the final rehearsal. Uh, Timberlake was meant to pull off a piece of the costume, she explained. It was supposed to reveal only a, a, red, a red lacy undergarment. As it played out, the undergarment... Uh, it just like it was a total malfunction uh timberlake also apologized but never really like gave a side of the story think about that information what you will i will you're allowed to yeah that's right that's right listeners this is a very active listening podcast um so a a couple weeks afterwards it was very hard to reach janet jackson's team as they were not taking phone calls because yeah people are awful and terrible human beings NFL uh, NFL Corporate Communications Vice President Brian McCarthy said, we turned over the keys to MTV and they crashed the car. So Brian's a bit of a drama queen. Uh, the FCC tried to do a bunch of stuff, specifically this guy named L. Brent Bozel, and he had been on a mission to make on-air in D.C. a cause for national outrage, and he saw this opportunity to really do it. He, he took his advocacy group, Parents Television Council, and they basically just yelled at the FCC to like sue everybody involved. Mm-hmm. See, a year before the Super Bowl, Bono got a Golden Globe and said uh, the moment was really, really fucking brilliant on a live broadcast. And <laughs> Bozel was like, oh, no, Oh, no, F they word. said fuck on television. Oh, boy, hope he never listens to our podcast, Liam. Just listen to how he talks about this whole ordeal. This is a quote. We realized we'd really hit a nerve out there, and we weren't alone in thinking, Bozel says. That was all before Janet Jackson. Jackson was what lanced the boil. Like, what a fucking Wait, scumbag. Wait, what the fuck? This guy's blaming her for this? Not her fault at no, all, no, no, even no. a little bit. He's he's saying that, like, he's not. He's basically just saying, we're not even that mad at the situation. We just know we can, like, get a lot of opportunity out of this. Mm-hmm. So he's just a piece of shit. And his name is Brent. Ugh. 
Gross. Ugh, Brent. Go sit back on your couch. The FCC receives only a handful of indecency complaints a year. It received 540,000 about Janet Jackson's breast. Jesus wept. Jesus wept for their world no more. Well, they were no more world to conquer. A lot of people were like, and by a lot of people, I mean Brian Bozel specifically, just thought that the <laughs> NFL needs to like really rethink about what it did. And think about MTV, what it did and really tighten the belt and get a lot more nationalistic. And MTV ought to just be somehow. thrown out with the rest of the rusty garbage. Yeah. Cool, Brian. So the weirdest, I think the strangest um, ramification of this whole incident in 2004, J-A-W-E-D. Jawed. I think it's, right? Jawed. Jawed Karim. Then a 25-year-old Silicon Valley whiz kid decided he wanted to make it easier to find the Jackson clip and other in-demand videos. Oh, good lord. A year later, he and a couple friends founded YouTube. <sighs> really? Oh, man, you kind of poached my topics uh, this this week on Media Majors, didn't you? Damn. I poked the egg yolk there. Honestly, honestly, that given given the culture in the YouTube and that YouTube has actively worked to foster, especially as of late with Logan Paul stuff, this is not an entirely surprising piece of information. Uh, TiVo enrolled 35,000 new customers in the aftermath of the whole thing. Howard Stern ended up being dropped from the clear channel two months following the Super Bowl uh, because Stern discussed um, the incident and the FCC fined him nearly $500,000. So then he joined a little fledgling satellite radio company called Sirius Radio. Mm -hmm. As of 2014, Sirius XM had two, has like 24.4 million subscribers and Stern is like a big part of that yeah so because of this youtube sirius xm radio oh boy tivo lord timberlake's career as a solo artist took off janet jackson uh really suffered she debuted a solo album following the halftime show low play count and rumors that she'd been blacklisted by viacom were around it was her lowest selling album for a thing that couldn't, like, at no level could have been her fault. What the fuck? She what the fuck is the matter with people? She withdrew from the Grammys while Timberlake performed and accepted two awards. Good lord. And now get this, Tom. Some critics saw gender and race at play. <laughs> really, you Timber don't say. And thought Timberlake really ducked the heat. Yeah, yeah, he super did. Because guess what? He's a fucking cisset white guy. Like, ugh. This had a very weird ripple effect. This year was announced that Jun Justin. <laughs> this year was announced that Junkston Timberlake would be performing the halftime show after the release of his new Lost in the Woods album that I heard is pretty garbage. He then later made a statement announcing that he would not be bringing In Sync or Janet Jackson. He did announce that he would be bringing a Prince hologram, and then on game day they announced that they scrapped that idea because the reaction was from everyone, "Fucking don't do don't that! Don't do it! Stop it!" On February 3rd at 4 in the afternoon, Janet Jackson tweeted a confirmation that, yes, she will not be performing, but thanks her fans for support and promises that they will see her very soon. In response, on February 4th, Twitter had a, t a trending hashtag of Janet Jackson Appreciation Day with everybody sharing her songs and videos in that super dope Rhythm Nation dance. Uh, this was started by filmmaker and ex-NFL player Matthew Cherry. It was trending above hashtag Super Bowl on game day, but the sponsored Pepsi halftime show was still trending at the number one spot. Hmm. 
Well, actually, it's game day right now as we're recording this. In fact, I think the big one is currently happening as we speak. All right, just seems like he's performing. We'll bring you the news as it comes. But first, let's have a break and listen to an ad from another show on the network. Hello, listener. Do you like a scare, a jump, a fright? How about Maine? How do you feel about Maine? If any of those words made your heart skip a beat, then I've got a podcast for you. King Me is a monthly Stephen King podcast where I, Tom Lockney, and a guest watch through a theatrical adaption of a work by everyone's favorite Northeastern author and talk about it with a little help from the source material. So, if you're feeling particularly brave, join me on my descent into terror on the Major Casts Network or wherever you find podcasts. In 1987, a young man by name of Hideo Kojima debuts the original Metal Gear. Originally played in isometric 2D, the series is deeply invested in deconstructing video games and just like generally art and culture. It sure is. Most titles in the series star a man by the code name Snake, the world's greatest spec op agent. While he's the player's primary avatar, the global scale of the franchise pulls in equally absurd tropey actors from Russia, the U.S., a military nation that operates off of an oil rig, and literally, literally ghosts. Each actor moves in reference to the world's most powerful, devastating weapons ever conceived, the Metal Gears, bipedal weapons with full nuclear capabilities. This series is, like, known for being, like, big and and bombastic and, like, kind of ridiculous. And very tongue-in-cheek. But it's also very, like, interested in in abstractly representing a lot of, like, very, very deep involved concepts. I'm not going to be dealing with those. I'm more or less going to just summarize the events of Metal Gear to you, Liam, a person who has never, ever played a Metal Gear game and knows nothing about them, and maybe you too, listener. I'm just doing those uh, kind of that take place in the modern era. So I'm only going to give you one, two, four, and then the final spinoff. So no Kiefer Sutherland? So unfortunately, no Kiefer Sutherland. No, fortunately. (laughs) Fortunately, indeed. Uh, if anybody gets confused, that's okay. It, it, you know, I've played some of these games, and the like. It baffles me still, even at points during this little story. Video. Chapter one: Twin Snakes. The important stuff really begins in 1998, when the series makes the transition to 3D and rebrands as Metal Gear Solid to differentiate. Metal Gear Solid takes place in 2005 on a remote island of Alaska's Fox Archipelago, codenamed Shadow Moses. A genetically enhanced special forces unit, Foxhound, has taken over the island's nuclear weapons disposal facility with the help of their Metal Gear Rex, which they threaten to use if they are not given the remains of Big Boss, the world's greatest soldier. Of course. Uh, Big Boss was the main bad guy in the original Metal Gear. He dies. Supposedly. Solid Snake is sent in to stop them. Then a lot of stuff happens that's really kind of not important or as exciting as people remember. I think that the first Metal Gear Solid is good but kind of boring. Sure. Yeah. Snake does battle with the various members of Foxhound, such as... A fox, a hound. (laughs) The end. Such as Revolver Ocelot, an old man (laughs) whom liked to spin guns. 
The climax of the game reveals that your rival, Liquid Snake, has masterminded the entire affair. Liquid tricked Solid into coming to Shadow Moses by posing as his handler, Master Miller. Both Liquid and Solid are, in fact, the product of the Les Enfants Terribles project. Of course. A super secret government project whose goal was to clone Big Boss. Okay. So, how you Solid do? Snake, yes. Liquid Snake, where's Gassy Snake? Just an old farty man in a box. Well, there's not a not so much of a gas. Think more of a solid. That's a joke for all you listeners who already know where the series is going. He delivers an infamous speech, Liquid does, detailing how he was given all the recessive genes of Big Boss, while Solid was given all the dominant ones. This doesn't make any sense. The idea is like Liquid's like, I'm all fucked up and shitty because I got the recessive genes. But like what recessive genes really are is like, oh, you've got red hair. But but you don't have it now. You might, you might give it later. <laughs> like that's what it means. It's just that like you don't have red hair, but you have the possibility of red hair. Within you. And Lurking that's, inside. And that's the most beautiful hair of all. <laughs> <laughs> Potential hair. Liquid seemingly succumbs to a virus known as Fox Dye, and Snake escapes to fight another day. In the credits, it's revealed that Revolver Ocelot was a double agent for the president all along, and that the president, by the way, is also a third clone. <laughs> Some major themes of the game are that nuclear weapons are scary and bad, which, like, yeah, sure. and that Hideo Kojima thinks that Solid Snake is super fucking cool. And another theme is that uh, animal names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Chapter two, Sons of Liberty. Metal Gear Solid Sons of Liberty picks up in 2007 as Solid Snake investigates a Marine Corps tanker rumored to be the site of a new Metal Gear's construction. Indeed, he finds Metal Gear Ray housed within its hull. But he's not the only one interested in the Metal Gear. Uh-uh. Russian mercenaries led by Colonel Gulukovich, Gulukovich, excuse me, his daughter Olga. Oh, it's me, Gulukovich. <laughs> it's my beautiful daughter, Olega. Literally, literally, yes. literally, that's the voice. There you go, I knew I could do it. This is Russell voice now for podcast. And Revolver Ocelot. Attacks. Oh, Revolver Ocelot is back! Oh, my old friend. My old friend. Ocelot reveals that he has replaced his arm with that of Liquid Snake, and then the arm possesses him. Oh, classic Ocelot. <laughs> this is why I, I am a big fan and glad to be part of the series now. He sinks the ship and leaves Snake for dead. Take note. The game picks up again in 2009 on the oil platform Big Shell, when Snake, accompanied by a companion named Bliskin, returns- Fuck off. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's even worse because Solid Snake is already based off of Snake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, duh. <laughs> Look how he looks. So, uh, he, he goes to the big shell with Pliskin and I... Uh, and they escape from a New York. Yeah, they, he's returned to the field under orders to rescue the president from the terrorist group, the Sons of Liberty. But wait, twist! The leader of the Sons claims to be... A carpenter named John. Solid Snake? What? That's right, it's revealed your player character is not the legendary mercenary Solid Snake, but it is in fact a new character who is just using the code name. His replacement code name, after he reveals his true identity, becomes Raiden. Dirty. A quick note too, by the way, because Raiden comes important later. Dirty. A lot of players hated Raiden. Dirty. And <laughs> 
And this was intentional. Was it Chamillionaire? Did Chamillionaire hate Raiden? Because they're like, you stole my song. One of the themes of Basically. Sons of Liberty is like memes and like the meme of of like an identity so oh, everybody gotcha, be gotcha, like, so gotcha. snake's so fucking cool so like gamers were like yeah we're gonna play as this fucking badass again and then they were Raiden who they think is kind of just like a whiny twerp uh, also by the way I should say that he is a queer coded character even though he is like explicitly straight he has like effeminate qualities and there are lots of like queer readings of Raiden and so, like, a lot of the homophobia in the gaming community, like, I cannot tell you how many times growing up I heard about, like, the Raiden reveal and everybody being like, oh, you got to play as, like, the he then they would, like, call him a slur. And, like, I think it was intentional. Kojima has, like, a very uh, complicated, evolving relationship with, like, sexuality and his narratives and his characters. Poliskin is eventually revealed <laughs> to be the real Solid Snake. What Fuck a fun off. twist. And helps Raiden secure the president. President Johnson reveals that Big Shell is simply a housing station for the newest Metal Gear Arsenal gear, and that the United States is actually run by an entity known as the Patriots, led by the Wiseman's Council, and that the terrorist leader of the Sons of Liberty, thought to be Solid Snake, is actually Tom the previous Brady. president, a perfect clone of Big Boss known as Solidus Snake. Oh. How you doing there, bud? Like a box of hamsters just kind of eating each other. <laughs> Revolver Ocelot kills President Johnson, and Raiden is captured after a betrayal at the hands of Solid Snake. This is what people hear when other people talk about Star Wars. Yes, almost definitely. This is, what it is. this is what it is. He awakens to torture at the hands of Solid Snake, who uses the opportunity to remind Raiden of his own backstory. Solid. Wait, sorry. R remind Raiden of Raiden's backstory? Yes. Fucking, I know my backstory, guy. And also technically Solidus's own backstory because apparently under a different identity, Solidus adopted Raiden as a child, saving him from the horrors of being a child soldier. After Solidus leaves, Olga appears and reveals that she too is a double agent for the Patriots. She sends him <laughs> to obtain Arsenal gear on behalf of Solid Snake, who only allowed Raiden to be captured so that he could then gain access to Arsenal gear. Snake and Raiden reunite and are captured again, this time by Revolver Ocelot, who reveals that he, too, is a Patriot double agent. Okay, so, all right. Turns the Patriots, out, by the way, that's the other theme of this episode, the fucking Patriots. Yeah, there you go. Turns out the Big Shell mission was actually a simulation, an attempt to recreate the conditions of the first game and push Raiden to become a soldier on par with Solid Snake. Ocelot is then possessed once again by Liquid Snake, whose intentions are to use Ocelot's body and knowledge to hunt down and kill the Patriots. Snake escapes to pursue Liquid Ocelot, and Raiden loses control of Arsenal gear. He crashes down on the roof of the Federal Hall National Memorial, where Solidus attempts to kill him. It's Solidus's desire to use the uh, to kill the Patriots, even though he's like a double agent too, and wants to use the nanomachines inside Raiden to do so. So Raiden has no choice but to defeat him in combat. Solid Snake heads off to hunt down Liquid Ocelot and the Patriots, and in a post-credit scene, it is revealed that the active members of the Patriots' Wiseman Council have all been dead for over a hundred years. Chapter four, Guns of the Patriots. <laughs> Liam, Liam, you you fancy yourself uh, a writer of narrative. How is this how is this digesting for you? Uh like a you know what this is going down like? This is going down like some thick ass moussaka. 
That's eggplant, ground beef, and then a fucking block of cheese on top. Oh, love me a thick-ass moussaka. You would mm. like moussaka. It's very Tom Lockney friendly. <laughs> Chapter 4, Guns of the Patriots. Hi, Tom, I'm moussaka. Nice to meet you. <laughs> you guys go see a movie. In the interest of time, Metal Gear Solid 4 is going to get an incredibly bare-bones summary, and also because like I think a lot of the moments in Metal Gear Solid 4 only have that kind of like, whoa, like, what the fuck? This is crazy value. Uh, if you, like, really spend time with all the characters and stuff, a lot of whom I haven't even, like, mentioned, because otherwise we'd be here all goddamn night. So here's what you need to know. The world is in a state of perpetual war uh, that, that is, like, maintained by Liquid Ocelot's PMCs. Solid Snake has aged rapidly, and the dormant fox dye virus within him threatens to mutate into a deadly contagion upon his death. So he's like a biological time bomb. With the help of his friends, including a new cyborg ninja, Raiden, uh, cause yeah, cause here's the thing, here's the thing, everybody hated Raiden so much That they made a ninja of him That, that Ko Kojima was like, this is bullshit and I like this character and I know you were supposed to hate him but this is wrong so I'm gonna make him fucking awesome So Snake is able to defeat Liquid Ocelot, destroy the Patriots, and help stabilize the world Okay Yeah, the end of the game sees him finally quitting smoking and going off to live his remaining time in happiness Final chapter, Rising a little context here, because Rising is a weird game that probably shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. Its first showcase was at E3 2010, which saw Raiden slicing up both men and melons with radical precision. <laughs> at this point in time, it was still called just Rising. Uh, but the idea kind of blew up in the hangar. There were a lot of uh, worries about censorship because of like the, the realistic renderings of dudes getting chopped in half. Like You could like slow down time and switch twist your blade and then chop it like a soldier and then blood would spurt out. The idea sort of blew up in the hangar and the game was canceled in late 2010. Kojima clearly didn't want to just let the idea die though and after a meeting with Platinum Games head producer Atsushi Inaba handed the now resurrected Rising to them. Platinum is known for their fast-paced third-person like hack and slash combat games such as Bayonetta and so this revamped Rising was going to follow in that legacy. It's not going to be a stealth game anymore. It's going to be about like just running around with a sword and cutting up robots. Perhaps the best detail of this game, however, is its new title derived from Kojima Productions' desire to take revenge on the original Metal Gear Rising project. The title's name is Revengeance. <laughs> So it's Metal Gear Solid Rising Revengeance. Revengeance. But enough about its creation. This is a story about spectacle and goddamn, Revengeance is really good at spectacle. You fight like a lady with eight arms. Ooh. Yeah, there's like, uh, you have a samurai dude who uh, it has like, you have like a robot dog named like Deathblade or some <laughs> shit like that. Aww. It's fucking nuts. You little Deathblade. Raiden, use it up. Oh. While the Patriots and their nanomachines have been destroyed thanks to the efforts of Solid Snake and his comrades, the effects of perpetual war can still be seen. In a bid to maintain control, PMCs turn to advanced cyborg technology, such as that scene, in the body, in the meat of Raiden. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, Raiden, using his cyborg ninja body, fights against the rogue PMC, Desperado, led by various other cyborg super soldiers. In the process, he happens upon an orphan boy, George, near a, a near victim of a plot to remove the brains of children and send them to the United States. But to what end, I hear you ask from afar, in the car, in the future, podcast what? listener. 
Through VR training, Desperado intends to condition them via VR war, turning them into killers and placing them inside of cybernetic bodies. This is supposed to be like a mirroring Raiden's own experience. After slicing and dicing his way through the game's myriad villains, Raiden confronts Senator Armstrong, who, thanks to the use of nanomachines, nearly kills Raiden. He gives a big speech, a big villain monologue, and I thought we'd listen to it. Fuck all these lunatic liars! Chicken bureaucrats! Fucking 24-7 celebrity bullshit! <laughs> This game came out in 2013. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, he fucking nailed it. But, uh, by the way, like, I don't think this is like an indication that Hideo Kojima is some sort of like Nostradamus prophet. I think that just hacks like Donald Trump have always existed and always been exactly the same forever and ever and ever. And smart people can easily predict their rhetoric. I mean, he, he like very quickly, I mean, like, it's very easy to envision in your mind to make America great again if you're really, like, thinking of political slogans a villain would say. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Raiden is able for, to fortunately turn the tide and rips Armstrong's heart out of his conservative chest and crushes it in his bare robot hands. Hey, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance is actually a pretty fucking good video game for uh, other reasons as well. I would recommend people check it out if you're looking for, like, a really fun action game with like the zaniness of a metal gear and the word fuck a lot yeah but that's it that's the that's the spectacle oh my god what did he He do he played rock your body without janet jackson are you fucking serious what a fucking piece of trash what the fuck come on except he didn't say the last the line that got him man i'm glad this is a fun joke to you justin i'm glad you got to have your yucks a decade later so sometimes that shit happens yeah uh, you know what my self-care corner is? Is tonight, I'm gonna have a really fun night with my friends. We're gonna pick up our D&D game that we haven't played in a hot second just because things have been busy. And then later after that, we're gonna play more games and watch the new Cloverfield movie that's gonna be on Netflix after the uh, Super Bowl. It's gonna be a fun night. Uh, self-care corners, self-care. I'm seeing Jeff Rosenstock in two weeks today. That's church for me, so gonna be great. Nice. That'll be my self-care corner for the next four episodes. Cool. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening to another episode of Media Majors. If you enjoy the podcast, you should leave us a rating and review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at Media Majors Cast. You can like the Major Cast Network on Facebook for updates on all the other shows on the network. They're all really great. Uh, leave us an email at mediamagerspodcast at gmail.com if you want to just stop by and say hi and communicate. 
And as always, I'm so sorry, Tom. Oh Apparently no! Apparently, there was a Tide Pod commercial. No, 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 no. So we'll no, be there no, for no, you. No. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major. <laughs>